0: Welcome this morning. It is so good to be here with you all. Um, We are kicking off a brand new series this morning uh, titled Saving Power. And uh, it's going right along with our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Richard, you can put the uh, first slide up there. Um, Where for the next couple of weeks... Uh, It'll probably take us through June, I believe. Um, We're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapters 8 and 9. I don't think we venture into 10. Um, I haven't looked at my spreadsheet recently, but I think it's those chapters. And specifically, it's following up with after the Sermon on the Mount where we get to see the power of God on display in the life of Jesus, and as he goes about his ministry, coming down off the mountain, he's leading his group of disciples, uh, we get to see um, what happens when Jesus comes to town and the power of God with him uh, to do some pretty amazing things. And as I've been doing these different studies, uh, looking ahead at the different weeks, something that's been very clear and it's been kind of unfolding as you read the different sections is that this power of God that we can experience really ultimately it points us to salvation. It points us to who Jesus is and what Jesus does uh, in our lives. Um, Both in kind of getting to, to look at the real tangible witness of those people's lives that were changed but then also getting to have that be a foreshadow of our experience of the gospel and what that looks like in our lives and we'll touch on that a little bit this morning you can go to the next slide so uh, the title for today's message is restore and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 and you can go to the next slide too. Um, As I was preparing for my message this week, something that uh, happened, this doesn't happen that often, so I wanted to uh, open by sharing it with you. I had this dream. Um, I'm not one of those pastors that just is like, I had this vision or this dream. It's not like that, but um, that's not my gifting. Anyway, so all that to say, I had this dream and I told Angie about it because I think it was inspired on Thursday night. Um, I was talking to a friend and we were talking about, you know, old cars. And um, I have just the way God has wired me, I, I love restoring things or to see things restored. Things that at, at one point were as they were supposed to be, maybe right off the assembly line. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, but over the years through life in all sorts of circumstances They're in a different condition And I think that probably feeds into my theology a little bit about how I view things and we'll We'll touch on it a little bit this morning, but I had this dream that somebody approached me With a bike that looks an awful lot like this one. I couldn't find an exact picture because It's not like my dream was connected to the cloud or anything like that but so I found this picture of this old bike and somebody approached me with this bicycle and said here's this bike we want you to have it and I was really tempted I was like man I'd really love to get my hands on that bike I'd really love to you know sand it up a little bit maybe give it some fresh paint you know take off all the rust and really see what this fight could be i shared this story with angie and she just laughed at me and she shook her head and said ah oh, no <laughs> we're not doing that and so even if it was a reality it's not happening anyway um and so i give you this picture because i think uh because of our experience in the world sometimes I'd say actually quite often, we can get a little bit rusty. And I'm not just talking about age. I'm just talking about exposure to the elements. Um, If you get, uh, as an example, Angie's van has this one really gnarly scrape on it. Um, And uh, it's from a shopping cart gone rogue. And uh, when we were living in Portland, away from salty air, things were cautiously fine like there was a little bit of rust but it wasn't that bad after nine months of living at the beach there's now like it is good solid rust color and there's like some (laughs) rust stains starting to go down the wheel well and i think that's really a picture sometimes of our lives where you know we go we we experience life and sometimes we get nicked a little bit. We we, maybe we get a little scrape or something. And, you know, the saltiness of the world, so to speak, uh, it, it kind of it starts to erode at us and, and that kind of thing. And in what we're about to read in Matthew's gospel, there's somebody who, I mean, of all the rust factor, they have got it in spades, um i'm kind of making light of it because it's going to be kind of serious but it has it in spades and we get to experience what and look at what it looks like when jesus gets a hold of the bicycle when jesus gets you know he takes his sandpaper he gets his you know rust-oleum spray paint out and he starts going to town and we get to see kind of what that looks like and so if you go to the next slide Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4, um, as just a little bit of context, because uh, it'll give us mostly the context in the passage. Uh, this is right after uh, the big teaching uh, that we find in Matthew's uh, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and um, Jesus is walking with his disciples down off the mountain. So Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4 um, When he, meaning Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord uh, recorded by the Apostle Matthew. And the first thing I see in our passage, it's up here on the screen. Richard, I love you, man. You are on point with those slides today. Here we go. Jesus brings his restoring power into everyday places and meets us in our need. He brings his restoring power into everyday places and, restores us, or, and meets us in our need. So right after Sermon on the Mount, having downloaded all that, kingdom culture talk stuff and perspective about the kingdom of heaven to his disciples jesus came down off the mountain and from that place of intense teaching and revelation from jesus himself loads of people were following jesus uh the gospels call them a crowd uh this isn't necessarily uh the inner circle so to speak that he was you know really in uh directly investing in but it was the crowd of people just something was happening they're following jesus and this reminds me of a quote from oswald chambers devotional my utmost for his highest where he wrote quote you can go to the next slide we must learn to live in the ordinary gray day according to what we saw on the mountain. We must learn to live in the ordinary gray day according to what we saw on the mountain. The truth that God reveals on the mountain is not meant to stay there. Having experienced that life-changing truth, we embody what we receive on the proverbial mountain. I'm not suggesting that we literally go to a mountain, though if that's something that you like to do, that's cool. Um, I digress. So, but as we go from that place, we bring the truth that God spoke through his word into the everyday places of our lives. So our times on the mountain could look like experiencing God and his powerful presence through times of worship at a weekly church gathering, much like this one. Uh, We hear teaching from God's word. We sing hymns and spiritual songs and we pray together this time here can count um, as a mountaintop kind of experience if you will because this is special and set apart from every other moment in your week for you to come here and encounter God and receive what he has for you it could look like going to some kind of special retreat or conference Um, that's a fancy word that we just say for you know some larger setting that may focus on a certain topic or theme from the scriptures and times like these they grow our view and our expectation of God beyond our everyday moments and it stretches us to see God's unique greatness in a new light and in contrast to that It could look like a small group, meeting in a home, sharing life together, maybe sharing a meal together, whatever form it takes. The times when we connect with and experience God have the power to change our lives, and we carry that powerful encounter with us everywhere we go into the everyday places of life. You can go to the next slide. Uh, Now, in verse 2, with all that momentum from the Sermon on the Mount, we see an encounter take place between Jesus and a man with leprosy. Now, uh, you may not know what leprosy is, and that's okay. Leprosy is a highly infectious disease that damages a person's uh, nerves and respiratory tract, their skin and their eyes. And because of how it affects a person... Uh, If it was left untreated, leprosy could lead to uh, the loss of limbs and eventually their life. Today, we use the medical name for leprosy of Hansen's disease to describe it. And it's actually curable now through a multi-drug therapy, believe it or not. Um, What a time to be alive. But that was only developed in the last 70 years or so which when you consider just the whole scope of human history, that's a very short time. And that's why at the time of Jesus and for much of human history, if a person got leprosy from that prolonged exposure, the news was terminal. And they were quarantined to form, uh, you know, in different communities called leper colonies and Getting the disease meant also a stigma and the ultimate isolation from your family and society. Now, you can go to the next slide from here. In the world of psychology, there's this idea called Maslow's Hierarchy of Need. Um, In 1943, Abraham Maslow wrote a paper called A Theory of Human Motivation where he outlined his theory that humans have two basic groups of needs one is their physical need and then also their internal needs now the first most basic one uh, of the physical side it's that physiological need that where you might not be able to read it on the screen it's really tiny there I'm sorry but that's where you get food water warmth and rest some basic just Human rights kind of things like physiological needs. Just what your body needs. The next level up is safety needs. So feeling safe, security, safety, that kind of thing. Now in the next group, <clears throat> there's the internal stuff. What's on the inside? And that comes with the next stage up is belonging, belonging or love needs. That's where you have those intimate uh, relationships or friendships or family. That human connection. Next up is esteem needs, where you get uh, that feeling of accomplishment, like you're, you're in a good place, things are going well. And then the next one up is self-actualization. Uh, and there's even one above that called transcendence. And that's achieving one's full potential, creativity, uh, you know, feeling like you've made it, that kind of thing. So those are, those are the hierarchy of needs, and that's... Kind of what he says motivates people and the reason i'm bringing this idea up <clears throat> uh, is not because i want to do a psychology course or anything like that but the reason i bring it to mind is that i think this theory is onto something about the human experience we all have needs in our life and until we address and meet those needs in some way, it's difficult for us to progress to the next stage, if you will. If you were to think of that like the rung on a ladder, you have to go through the first step to get to the next step and that kind of thing of human experience to get to what's up at the top right now <clears throat> from a biblical perspective, we could we could assign to that Very tippy-top kind of triangle up there. Discovering God's plans and purposes for our lives. A spiritual experience. And often, for us in the community of faith, we start there. (coughs) At the top, when we go to talk to people about Jesus. About salvation or the gospel. But sometimes when we start there, we forget or we ignore the fact that there are some people who might have some very present, very tangible needs further on down the line that are making it hard for them even to grasp what we're saying about God or faith. And I would submit to you today that maybe this idea... And this chart of needs shows us the scope of what needs to be addressed so that we can be restored in our relationship both with God and others. Now, for the man with leprosy, if we were to kind of use this this grid, if you will, as kind of his human experience, whenever he contracted the disease, he was knocked down. Let's say he started off self-actualization. Things are going great. He's, you know, in the community of faith. Everything's going well, awesome. He gets knocked down in his esteem. <clears throat> he's cut off from his relationships he's, uh, that he's developed up into that point. Uh, going back down the rung, he, he's lost his family. Uh, he's lost his community of faith because of his uncleanness. He couldn't go to the temple to worship. He couldn't go to the synagogue to to hear uh, the word of God uh, uh, read and spoken about. <clears throat> he couldn't go and be around other believers who were in those places. Uh, going back down, you know, he's getting knocked down, each and every one. He Safety needs. He has this, this disease attacking his body, and it's also a potential threat of attacking anybody he's around. So, I mean, he doesn't, I can't imagine he would feel safe and then you knock it back down even at the most basic human rights level need, physiological needs, his body needs, He's cast out into desolate places. So, I mean, the gathering of food or water or trying to find some kind of shelter, warm place or rest, um, it's compromised. That experience is compromised and... In that isolation, he'd have to scratch out some sort of existence with little to no help. And in this state of desperation, he heard about Jesus. I imagine that maybe he had heard some of Jesus' teaching by this point. And maybe he had the thought, you know, if Jesus can teach with such power and authority about the kingdom of heaven, maybe he could have the power to restore my life too. Now, we don't have his inner dialogue recorded in Scripture, so I'm, just, I'm speaking purely imaginatively in that regard. But what we do know is that this unclean man with leprosy braves the crowd to get to Jesus And in this act of faith, we can gather that this man believed that Jesus could make him clean. As the Christ, the only son of the Most High God, Jesus Christ came to redeem and restore people back to relationship with God and the family of faith. Now, I think I have it up here on the screen. Next slide. Uh, Jesus described his ministry in this way by quoting the prophet Isaiah. You can find it in Luke chapter 4. Uh, it's up here on the screen. He, he went into a synagogue, opened Isaiah, scrolled to Isaiah, this section in what we call Isaiah 61. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The anointing that Jesus had gave him the power and authority to declare freedom, to heal, to deliver those he came across, like this man with leprosy. And the truth is that you have areas of your life where you have need. Places where you experience all manner of brokenness. And maybe it's not even something that you chose for yourself. Maybe it's something that happened to you and you just are left to deal with it. Kind of like this man with leprosy. He didn't choose to go out and get this disease it happened to him and now he's living in the fallout of that reality and stories like this one about the leper speak of a hope that we can come to jesus with our stuff the good the bad and the ugly even when we you know Mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever. If we're, if we're not such a good <laughs> uh, sight to behold, he's able to make us whole and complete and restored again. Because Jesus brings his restoring power into everyday places and meets us in our need. Is God bringing you to a place where you can honestly cry out to him just like this man did? with Jesus, crying out, Lord, help me. And when we do that, that act of faith positions us to be open to receive the healing that only he can bring. Do you believe that Jesus can meet you in your needs and restore you today? Let's keep going. All right. Next thing I see in our passage is that Jesus touches the untouchable, and makes the unclean clean. Verse 3 says, and I quote, verse 3, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Here Jesus shows us the heart of God toward the world and the powerful influence of his kingdom to heal us. The word that's used in both verses 2 and 3 for the word will is used all throughout the New Testament to talk about both human and divine volition. Because a person's will expresses both their motive and their decision to act. Since the beginning, God has seen us in our broken and helpless state. And he's moved by his compassion toward us. The truth is, God wants us to be made whole, both physically and spiritually. It's his heart and it's his will to do so. And the man with leprosy in this moment, he, he conditioned this encounter with the statement saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So in this bold statement and act of faith coming to Jesus we can gather that this leper believed that this impossible healing at this point was possible if Jesus willed it amazing just this man's expression of belief alone reveals the magnitude of Jesus ministry and the greatness of his power and authority to rescue and restore and if This story stopped there. It'd be awkward (laughs) for real. It would be really awkward, but that would be enough for to lead us to some kind of place of worship and recognition that Jesus is that grace that great that he could do it. But Jesus didn't leave the man's faith hanging in the balance, Jesus was moved with compassion toward humanity. And Jesus decided to act in power to bring restoration to the man with leprosy. Jesus laid hands on the man, touching and declaring, I will, I am motivated, I decide, be clean. And it happened. Now what I find interesting about this moment is that it shows us two amazing truths. Number one, it shows us that through the king's ministry that reality of the kingdom of heaven is reaching out to the hopeless and the hurting, the marginalized of society. The hope of the gospel is available for everyone, not just the outwardly clean, not just those who have their life together and they might show up in a certain place at a certain time. It's even for those who are a complete hot mess. And the other thing it shows us is that this encounter, it shattered the Jewish understanding of clean and unclean in this regard. Because when Jesus touched the man with leprosy, he declared him clean. And it appears, based on what Matthew wrote, that Jesus' purity and power to restore through that contact of his hands, it did not Transmit the uncleanness of the man's leprosy to Jesus. Instead, the compassionate God reached out to touch the untouchable and to influence that person's life with his pure holiness. And that stands in contrast with what's outlined in the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 through 14. We're not going to read it today. Uh, But that's where uh, Moses... Uh, wrote down what God had to say about different skin diseases and, and leprosy and what you do about it. If you're a priest and somebody comes to you with that, what do you do? Um, and so it, it shattered this because in that section, it's very clear that physical contact with anything unclean transmits that uncleanness to the person who touched it. And yet, in this account of Jesus touching the man with leprosy, we see that Jesus is greater than this man's uncleanness. So in his love, he influenced and impacted people's lives like this man with a saving, restoring power that could make the unclean clean. And this makes me think about how on Friday morning, Angie and I, we went on a walk a very long walk (laughs) we started uh i know praise jesus hallelujah so we went all around town it was uh our our fitbits told us it was seven miles it was ridiculous but that's not i'm not saying that to congratulate myself (laughs) i paid for it (laughs) but here we go we were walking around town we started in old town we got our coffee from uh, river roasters which is a fantastic place to go let me just say Uh, And we started our trek. We started uh, in downtown. We went to Exploding Whale Beach Park, went up the Sayusla, ended up going through Green Trees Village. I don't even know if we're allowed to do that, but we did. And so we we went through Green Trees Village and then we got to the the 12th Street bike path and we went up. It's gorgeous over there. I never, these are parts of town I've never been in before and it was great. But we, we crossed 101. And we were on our way, we had decided we were gonna stop. Uh, There's this taco truck um, right over by the cinema and it's ran by Ricky and Cora Charles who are a part of our family here. And uh, we were gonna go get some tacos because we had just walked a long way. And so we had crossed the highway and uh, we were walking on the sidewalk and there on the sidewalk is this man with a sign. That said, good morning. And you know, I gotta confess to you, I was gonna walk right by him and not even acknowledge him, not not say hello, nothing. I was just gonna go right on by. I'm <clears throat> one of the the sad things about ministry sometimes is it, it kind of makes you callous towards certain situations. And I just I was Confession, I was so focused on tacos, I couldn't see this man. Right? Literally, I, it's kind of funny to think about, but it's true. Now, what's interesting about this encounter is that Angie engaged the man. She responded to his sign, and she said, good morning. And I thought, oh, no. Here we go. Because I thought, that's it. I Now we got to talk to him. I mean, and... And through that conversation, we learned what the man's name was. We learned what had led him to live outside. And we got to engage with this man beyond just the label that often gets placed on him. We got to meet him as a fellow human being with thoughts, feelings, and actions. We got to ask questions. Um, and he gave us some really raw, unfiltered answers. Uh, and this was, that this turned into a pretty beautiful moment for me. Because as we were talking, I was feeling convicted. Like, man, I'm so focused on tacos. And here's this man, he's, he doesn't even want food. We were going to, in my mind, I'm thinking we're going to buy him tacos because I want to go to the taco truck. And so, but... Um, he, he had said, you know, I, I've already had my sandwiches for this morning, so I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm full. And I was convicted because here's this man who socially, in a lot of ways, is a, treated a lot like a man with leprosy. Cast out, ignored, demeaned by circumstance, and probably hasn't touched or been touched by another human being in a while. And in that conviction, I asked him if he'd like a hug. And he said, sure. And so for me, I gave him the biggest, strongest kind of hug. It was an awkward, long hug, but I I did. I gave him a hug because this was a person who needed to know, in, in my conviction, that God loves him right where he's at. He needed to know that he was seen, that he was heard. Now, I'm not sure how our interaction is going to impact his life, and, you know, in me sharing this story, I'm not suggesting that you, you know, somehow start a hugging ministry or anything like that whatsoever. Hugging may not be your thing. You might be like, no physical contact, please. That's not the point. I was reminded of how truly good our God is. Because God saw me in my unclean state and he reached out, perfect, spotless, righteous God to embrace me. And how just the warmth of his embrace has the power to do something inside my heart. And he wanted to do that for the leper back then. He wanted to do that for that man on Friday. And I'm convinced he wants to do that with you today. He wants you to know, whether that's just from the sound of my voice and hearing it, for your own self to be touched by that good message that God loves you. And he's for you. He's not against you. And he's here to heal and restore you wherever you're at. And so, Jesus touches the untouchable. He makes the unclean clean. Whether you have a physical or spiritual issue, he's here. It's his will to restore you. Now, the third thing as we wrap this up that I see, it's ultimately the big idea that I find in our passage. Um, It's up here on the screen. Restored lives, witness to God's power to save. Everyone who believes. There's this great verse from Romans that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to save everyone who believes. Restored lives witness to God's power. So immediately after this amazing show of God's power to restore, it happened. The man was made clean. Hallelujah. Jesus tells the man, then how to share his testimony of this incredible healing. But the instruction is kind of counterproductive to what we'd expect uh, the advancement of his ministry to have, right? Instead of putting this miracle on blast over all of the, the first century word of mouth media outlets of the day, if there were any, I don't know. The instruction was to say nothing and instead to go and show the proof of cleansing to the priest and to offer the sacrifice that Moses prescribed in Leviticus 14 because the proof of the man's healing was the shown evidence of his physical restoration and newfound state of cleanness. And in this way, I see Jesus linking this man's testimony of healing with that Jewish process that God had laid out for his people uh, to be declared clean. Otherwise, the man would not have been restored to his family or his community until he had gone through that process of restoration. And through that interaction, the full magnitude of this encounter was more than just to restore this man's health although that's amazing in and of itself. Jesus was restoring this man to the community of believers and his family as well. And this reminds me of something we do. I don't know if I have it on the screen. Do I have it on the screen? Do we have another slide after? No! Ugh! In my haste this morning, I didn't put it up there. Well, you'll have to picture it in your minds with me. Okay. Remember in elementary school um When we all, I'm sure, I'm convinced, everybody's experienced this, show and tell. Show and tell. Whether it was some object you had at home, whether it was a stick you found on the playground, whatever it was, or maybe a project that your teacher said, you know, you really need to present this to your classmates. At some point, we've all had to endure showing and telling some meaningful object in our lives, right? Now in Matthew 8, Jesus told the man to communicate this moment by showing, not telling. Because sometimes talk is cheap. And sometimes our words fall short of really describing the impact that God has had on our lives. We are transformed when we experience the power of God in our lives. People may try to dispute the words we speak, but they can't deny the power of a changed life. The truth is your testimony is a gift from God to your faith. While our physical or spiritual healing may be done in an instant, it is a reality that's meant to be lived out in line with God's purpose and process. And that lived out testimony shows the marked difference between how we were before and how we are after encountering the power of God to save us and restore us. So, if restored lives witness to God's power to save everyone who believes, then what does that mean for you and I today? I'm glad you asked. How do we apply this to our lives? Because of Jesus' work on the cross and the salvation he's brought to us through the gospel, we are no longer bound to the ritual, regulations, ceremonial, clean laws of the Old Testament. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And since I'm fairly convinced that most of us in the room, I'm willing to venture to guess, probably don't come from a Jewish background, how we apply this instruction is less literal, like with the man, with, for leprosy. It's less direct like that, and it's more implied by what Jesus said. So here's what I gather. Here's how we live from this truth. For starters, as we grow in our walk with the Lord and we experience His goodness more and more each day, we are given a testimony to the encounters with God that we have here today. Also, from past days that you've encountered that as well. We should live in expectation that God is going to move in power in and through our lives. And this will ultimately impact us and the people around us. And we will gain testimonies of his goodness and grace. The second thing is that testimonies of experiencing God's power and presence in our lives, it stirs up faith among his people does it not when we hear testimonies it's pretty amazing what it does to our faith it kind of raises that faith meter if you will that's not to be crass i'm just saying it it raises our faith it stirs us up it says wow this is amazing this is so good and the enemy of our souls the devil tries to make us ashamed of our history and how god has met us in our uncleanness But that's the glory of the gospel. That you are a walking testimony of God and his goodness. So friend, walk it out in confidence. Knowing that you are loved by the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Jesus loves you. And he came to deliver you into a new life where you have been healed and are being healed and delivered. The church is not a place for us to hide the light of our testimony. We need to share it with the community of believers. Also, a third thing is that experiencing that transformation is exciting. And it's going to move us, move you and me, to speak it out, and to tell people about the miracle that God's done for us. But friend, the greatest testimony goes beyond just our words. It's something that we live from and affects every part of our existence. So just to recap, Jesus brings his restoring power into everyday places and meets us in our need. Jesus touches the untouchable, and makes the unclean clean, and restored lives witness to God's power to save everyone who believes. And so, the question I want to leave you with today, before we pray and we we close this thing out, is where are you at today? How, where do you see yourself in this story? I think in a lot of ways, at some point in our journey, we can identify with the leper. But then also, Jesus is calling us as his followers, as his disciples, to go and do likewise, to bring that power and that truth into everyday places of our lives and to go out and to share the love of God with people who may not smell so nice, Who may just, just their existence may violate all the different internal boundaries that we've put up inside of our brain that I can't go there, God. I can't, I just can't. You know, maybe God wants you to share what He's done in your life with those kinds of people. Maybe it's to plug into some community of faith, whether it's this one or there's a couple of other churches in town that are really great uh, houses of worship and good people where, you know, we can stir each other up with our testimony. Where are you at today? I believe that God wants to do something in your life. And I think it's going to be good. And I don't know what that is, but I know that our God is good and that His mercies are made new every single morning and that today that same God that we've been singing about all morning and talking about, about His greatness and His goodness, He's here for you today. So, let's pray.